This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Subject line so specifically tailored to one Josh Jackson episode <laughs> of the show before the show podcast. Episode 207 and Sam's uh, title today, quote, the area code for all of Maine is 207. That would have been interesting enough, uh, but a, a continuation. It'll probably max out at some point in 2019. And with that, a link to a Banger Daily News story about the area code. You went deep on this week's. Yeah, I just looked up 207, and then the first thing that popped up was, like, it was Maine's area code. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I just typed in 207 area code, and the first story that comes up is this Bangor Daily News story. Uh, And my grandma is from Bangor, Maine, so I'm always interested in things that go on in Bangor. And, yeah, the fact that it could likely run out this year, Maine's going to have to get a new area code, and that's going to be – very weird for a lot of folks i wonder if it's going to be like here in new york city where the 212 area code is something that we all deem as like elite status like if you still have a 212 area code it's a big deal um i have a 646 area code i'm not giving you the rest of those digits because i'm not doing that on this podcast but uh i feel like lesser than so i wonder how that's going to be treated in maine when the day comes benjamin hill a future guest in this week's episode of the show before the show podcast he's a 212 guy I remember he's talking about guy. that one time. Like, how did you get a two one two? And he was like, I don't know. He's just been around forever. That's you know, he's a he's a stalwart. Yeah. Um, they're very proud of that. The open to this story from the Daily News quote: "With sixteen counties, two congressional districts, vast uninhabited tracts between its mountainous west and coastal peninsulas, Maine has just one area code two o seven. It's a flag we all fly, but that may not be forever. Wow. Oh wow. All right, all right, Maine. Um." <laughs> So that's uh, Portland Sea Dogs. Now you're uh, you've been highlighted in a weird roundabout way. Um, <laughs> so we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in six four six slash two one two New York City. There's a third one there now too, right? I'm sure there is. I don't know it off the top of my head. There's a whole Seinfeld episode about the when they first came up with the 616 and Elaine has to change her number, or the 646, and Elaine has to change her number and she gets a 646 after she formerly had a 212 and then like guys don't want to date her because they feel like she's just too new to the city. <laughs> That's probably true. It doesn't happen now <laughs> so much, but uh, yeah, there's like all these ad campaigns. AT&T, it's like it's a 212 thing. And I'm like, does that just mean I'm not special? Like, I'm not. Yeah, you're not cool enough. Yeah, I've been in the city seven years, going on eight years now. Like, I'm I'm, I'm a full-fledged New Yorker, dang it. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, let's get started on this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Coming up here in just a little bit, we are going to hear from the the man in charge of maybe the hottest pitching staff in all of minor league baseball, uh, the Erie Seawolves. 
who have had some really talented players uh, already on that roster this year added one in uh, top Tigers prospect Casey Mize last week who proceeds to go out and in a game in which he said he had his worst fastball command of the season he threw a 98 pitch no hitter and uh, Erie pitching coach Mark Johnson will join us coming up here in just a little bit and uh, we'll get started on three strikes for this week's episode with that very topic, Casey Mize up to double A. He throws a Maddox in his first game. That'd be impressive enough, but a no hitter to go along with it. So uh, after a dominant start to the season in which Casey Mize just blew through the Florida State League, um, this is a guy who is at a point right now where you kind of start wondering, and I know you tweeted this right after his uh, the no-hitter. You said, we'll probably see him in the major leagues by August. That was your prediction earlier this year. And you said, I wonder if that's going to start looking conservative at some point. Casey Mize, the 22-year-old out of Auburn, who was the first overall pick last year for the Tigers, um, in his start to this season with Class A Advanced Lakeland through four starts, he put up a 0.35 ERA, 25 strikeouts against one walk, in 26 innings pitch he gave up seven hits one run which was earned an 085 opponents average a 0.31 whip and then he goes to double a and throws a no hitter in his debut like could we see casey mize in detroit before the all-star game at this rate i I have no idea it's it's insane what he's doing just to throw out some more numbers that you just kind of tacked on including that no hitter he's leading minor league baseball right now through five starts with a 0.26 whip Uh, That's including Erie and Lakeland. He's holding batters to a .065 average through 35 innings. That's also the best in minor league baseball. He's only allowed 11 batters to reach base. Seven hits, two hit batmen, two walks. So... Yeah, it's he's just not getting challenged at this point. He wasn't getting challenged in Lakeland. Part of that we already knew was probably going to happen. Uh, they started him out there just to get him in the warm weather, allow him to pitch every five days. Um, you know, you get sent up to Erie, and we'll talk about this with Mark Johnson later. Uh, Erie, notoriously tough weather environment. A lot of postponements, a lot of cancellations early on in the season. Tough to get into that rhythm. They sent him down south, let him get into that rhythm, let him pitch uh as much as he can gets the call up on april 29th absolutely shoves a, as you mentioned a nine inning no hitter this was not a cheapo this was not a seven inning game and a, as part of a double header all nine innings he was out there throwing 98 pitches uh so fitting in perfectly with their uh continuation of what he's done he he's added one inning to every start he's thrown so far he went five six seven eight nine uh so far, he's gone 68 pitches, 73 pitches, 82, 89, 98. Working up, he's, he's about as much as he's going to go right now. Uh, and he's just – this isn't just scouting the stat line. We're not just saying this because he's been dominant in terms of uh, outings because we could say that about other guys as well through the first month of the season. But this is the number one overall pick last year. This is a guy who comes from a college pedigree, uh, is already well advanced for a pitcher. He's 22 years old. He, he turned 22 just yesterday, so – Happy belated birthday to Casey Mize yeah, on May 1st. Um, so he's he's a little bit older, at, at least than his high school counterparts. That allows him to move quickly. But he's got the stuff to back that up. Uh, you know, his fastball and slider are both considered plus pitches. His splitter is a plus-plus pitch. Might be the best splitter in minor league baseball right now. Might be one of the best off-speed pitches in baseball, period. Uh, and when he doesn't have his fastball command on, which – 
that might be true. It might have been the worst he's had this year. He was still hitting his spots, I think, pretty well. He threw 70 of his 98 pitches for strikes. Uh, he was doing fine in terms of terms of command. It might not have been going exactly where he wanted, but it was still hitting the zone pretty well. Um, you know, they, they're going to need to find challenges for him. And I know the Tigers aren't necessarily in compete mode this year, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to get to a point where probably by July or August, I won't go all-star break like you mentioned, Tyler. I won't say that quickly because I think he'll, they want him to prove himself at every level. He'll get some AAA starts before he moves up. Um, but if he keeps shoving like this, if he keeps being extremely difficult to hit and striking out guys at a good rate and getting ground balls at a good rate, uh, you know they're going to need to get him to the majors by the end of the year. Uh, I thought August, as you mentioned, you know I thought August was kind of like, oh, this is this is a fun version of the future. Let's let this happen because if they get to September, they're not going to call him up. They're going to do the whole thing that the Blue Jays did with Vlad Jr. In which here's an obviously ready player, but we want to delay free agency, but for a little bit, and we have built-in reasoning. This is his first full season. We don't want to push him too much. Whatever. If he can bang down the door by August, then it's going to be legitimately tough for them to bring him or to keep him down. Um, you know, we're I'm, I'm not going to overreact. It's very difficult to do that for somebody who didn't allow a hit in his first Double A start. Um, but you know, this is just the perfect mix of analytics backing up what we know from his scouting report. I can't wait to see what he does next. Um, yeah, he, he might be pushing Forrest Whitley, Mackenzie Gore as the top pitching prospect in baseball right now. Uh, if this continues, he's probably going to pass those two for that uh, moniker. And, and yeah, if this is, a, if you're a Tigers fan, adding him to the mix with Matt Manning, Alex Fado, who we haven't brought up yet. He threw a no hitter before Mize, uh, which is really incredible. Erie had week in the same week. Erie hadn't had a no hitter in 10 years. They throw two in, in one week. Uh, you'll hear Mark Johnson talk about that a little bit, but, uh, it's just an insane rotation and seeing those guys rub off each other, uh, should make Tigers fans very, very excited. Does this kind of seem like maybe we're finally starting to see the Tigers have had a quietly, um, loaded pitching side of their system for a while we've talked for so long about the pitching with the White Sox and with the Braves and with some of these other organizations the Padres now the Tigers have been a quiet version of that but we've also seen a really mixed bag for a lot of these guys Franklin Perez has not pitched this season he was shut down with right shoulder inflammation last year Um, you know Matt Manning so far this year has been really good uh, in his start to the season. Bo Burrows is on the injured list right now. He's had kind of a mixed bag start to the year. Kyle Funkhauser has not been real good so far with Triple A Toledo, but Alex Faido, you mentioned, he's been pretty good so far to start the season. Um, they acquired Logan Shore in a trade uh, from the Oakland Athletics. He's been pretty decent so far this season for Erie. Uh, those guys, for so long, it seems like the Tigers have been kind of a sleeping giant in that division, and especially this year where it feels like the Central could be wide open. This is not the Tigers' year, more than likely. Uh, but does it seem like maybe this is finally the Tigers have had a lot of arms for so long? Are we finally going to see those guys start to make that ascent and get to Detroit and start rebuilding maybe what we saw in the mid 2000s with that team where they were a real contender every year? Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how these guys develop. Looking at this eerie rotation, um, it's it's not hard to dream that at least two or three of these guys are going to be the foundation of an ear of a Detroit rotation going forward. And maybe someday we'll be talking about them in the ways we used to talk about Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Jordan Zimmerman, uh, Doug Fister. Um, you know, 
the core of those really good Detroit teams a couple of years back was the rotation adding in Miggy Cabrera and some of the other hitters, obviously. Um, but if you can build out from a rotation, the rest of it becomes so much easier. And, you know, with Mize being two steps away, Manning, Fado, you know, adding some velocity and looking much more like the first round pick that he was a couple of years back. Um, if, if, those three and then Perez can ever get healthy and Shore develops and sticks as a starter and Gregory Soto who uh, has a really live arm a really wicked fastball and a decent slider if those guys can be the four and the five uh, it, you know it's not hard to dream on these guys adding in Jake Rogers who I think is part of the success here. Uh, he's the best defensive catcher in baseball or in, in minor league baseball excuse me not going to give him that quite yet Um but he really knows how to work a staff. He's helping these guys mold their, their stuff as well. Uh, Daz Cameron is at AAA right now. Is it the best farm system in baseball? Absolutely not. Um, but there's enough pieces here that a contender, especially as you mentioned, Tyler, in that AL Central right now, it's coming into focus a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, if, if you weren't paying the attention to the Detroit Tigers, this eerie team, this eerie staff in particular, are making sure that you look at them closely. And uh, almost every night is must-follow stuff when one of these really good prospects is on the mound. Strike two this week. Uh, the latest promotion of a top prospect to the big leagues comes from the Cincinnati Reds organization where Nick Senzel, the Reds' top prospect in baseball, is number five overall, is headed up uh, to the major leagues. He was a second, all pick, second overall pick back in 2016. Got a late start to this year, eight games so far this season with AAA Louisville in the International League, 257, 316, 371. Uh, but Nick Senzel, we kind of know what type of player he is, and the Reds have made him so diverse defensively over the last couple of years he's played at third he's played at second he's played in the outfield we know he can play shortstop in a pinch um he's a guy who is so athletic and seems so complete that you're not really i think worried about uh even the numbers when you look at him as being uh, a major league guy but his promotion uh right now at this stage of the season where the reds are um and where nick senzel is how do you view this yeah, so this was reported by MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo saying that the Reds were going to call up Nick Senzel on Friday for his Major League debut. Uh, there were some reports out on Wednesday that Senzel had been told he's going up. Um, today on Thursday, nothing's official yet, but it seems like everything is clicking into place to make that happen. Uh, Senzel's season started out not on a great note just because you know he was supposed to be in that mix for – uh, the starting center field spot with the Cincinnati Reds. They end up sending him down, and then I think he suffered an ankle injury that held him out the first couple weeks. It looked bad initially. He ended up returning April 23rd, so it wasn't too, too bad. Um, not off to the best start with, with AAA Louisville, but everybody knows his bat is certainly good enough. This is a guy with a career line in the minor leagues of 312, 388, 508. Um, really good with the bat has showed that at Louisville in the past hit 310 there last year with an 887 OPS. Uh, the big question, as you mentioned, Tyler is the defense. They have moved him to center field. Um, they want him to, you know, kind of take that position into his own. They obviously let go of Billy Hamilton in the off season. Uh, really good speedster. Senzel's not going to be that, but at least he can be a much better hitter than Billy Hamilton was. Uh, the Reds, the way the outfield had kind of situated itself to begin the year, uh, it looked like Scott Schiebler was going to take over center field. Uh, he's had some good seasons in the past, but is not off to that same start this year. So now Senzel, a couple of healthy games under his belt, 
a, a couple more games at center field. It seems like the reports are that he can stick there or at least be a passable center fielder. Um, now that the ankle is fully healthy, now is the time for Cincinnati to go for it. Kind of in a similar spot to what we were saying about the AL Central. Uh, that NL Central is going to be wide open as well. And if the uh, Reds have any hope of you know, kind of keeping pace with the Brewers, with the Cubs, with the Cardinals in that division, right now they're sitting 13 and 17. They're seven games back. Uh that's they need to make up that ground and bringing up their top prospect is going to help with that. Um, so Senzel's coming up to play. He's not going to be kind of off on the sidelines or easing him, easing his way in. He's going to be there every day. Center fielder. Uh, don't worry about that early start with, with Louisville. The bat's going to play in the major leagues right away. And uh, yeah, really excited to, to see what he can do there. Um, how his power is going to play. You know, obviously the triple A, Triple A level has started using the major league ball this year, but he's only got eight games with that. What's going to happen when he plays with it more regularly? How is the power going to play? Because his uh, career high for home runs is 14. I think there's more power in the the chamber for him going up. It's it, mostly in the minor leagues has kind of been doubles power. What happens when he's a little bit more mature? Uh, that'll be interesting to watch. But adding him into this mix is only going to help the Reds. And uh, what does that do to help push them? In, for a playoff spot, we'll have to wait and see. And the final strike on three strikes for this week's episode, uh, the first month of the minor league season is already in the books, and we have seen some terrific performances so far this year, some guys who have already capitalized on that to be called up to the major leagues. Sam, some players of the month, some highlights uh, from April for you. Yeah, I mean, by almost the nature of this podcast, a couple of the guys I'm going to mention are people we've already talked about a few times in past shows. But if we're going to wrap up the month of April, uh, I have to bring them up again just because these are the standout performers. Uh, I start with Luis Robert, uh, who would probably get his own strike, honestly, if we weren't doing this monthly wrap up. Uh, he got promoted to double A Birmingham this week. He's already had one game with the Barons, um, but just was off to an incredible start with Class A advanced Winston Salem. He finished there hitting 453. Uh, and that is not a light 453 because he also had a 512 on base percentage and a 920 slugging percentage. He had 16 extra base hits in 19 games. Um, when he was promoted, he was the only player in the minor leagues to have at least eight home runs in and eight stolen bases. Uh, really incredible start for him, uh, especially coming off last year when he dealt with all sorts of injuries, I think mostly due to the thumb. Um, you know, he's d- dealt with injuries throughout his career. He's coming up on two years ago since he was signed. Um, but to see him get off to the start is really, really neat, uh, especially because we know that the run tool is a plus tool. We know that he has a really good arm and can really do well because of the run tool in center field. Uh, the power everybody's expected would have come along at some point. We're seeing it now. But the bat was kind of thought to be the most average of the, the skill sets. And to see him hit 453 is super, super exciting. Uh, the other one I'll bring up is Jordan Alvarez. I think I brought him up in my Mill TV segment last week. Yeah. Uh, guy continues to tear the cover off the ball. We had a story on him yesterday uh, just because he started out May insanely good as well he's got 12 homers in 23 games uh that includes a homer he hit in may but i know this is supposed to be an april segment but i'll just give you that as well um and he's done a little bit better job of controlling the strike zone than even robert has uh he struck out 18 times but walked 13 times in 23 games he has a 386 
474-916 line so far uh, with AAA Round Rock. It's gotten to the point where I think he's passed Kyle Tucker for being the next in line for a promotion to Houston. Where he fits in there is interesting because he's usually been used as an outfielder. They keep trying to make him into an outfielder. A lot of people think at six foot five, two hundred twenty-five pounds, he's more suited to be a first baseman or a DH someday. Uh, the, the Astros actually aren't getting much production out of their first base or DH spots so far to begin the year. So I think you know Alvarez could be a solution to that. He provides a ton of power from the left side. He's never quite shown this level of power, which is interesting. Again, the AAA ball might be playing in, into that somehow. Um, but still, to see him do this has been really, really cool. Uh, I think they should just plug him in as the DH right away. Uh, he's going to do incredibly well at Houston at some point. Kind of think he might get the call at some point this month. I don't have any inside info on that, just the way he's performing and the way the Astros, again, like so many other teams, need to compete right now. Um, he would paper over a lot of holes they have in that lineup uh, right away. So expect Jordan Alvarez in Houston at some point soon, I would think, uh, based on how good he's been in the first couple weeks of the 2019 season. And that will do it for this week's three strikes. Uh, And we will discuss one of the hottest teams, the hottest pitching staffs in all of minor league baseball coming up next as Mark Johnson, the pitching coach of the AA Erie Seawolves, joins the show to talk about Casey Mize and uh, his team's blistering last week, uh, week plus on the pitcher's mound. That's next on the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. This week on the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show, we're joined by Erie Seawolves pitching coach in the AA Eastern League, Mark Johnson. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And and, uh, it's one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is because your staff is one of the most exciting in baseball. Uh, Kind of take us through this first month, um, what it's been like to work with some of these Tigers prospects. Well, you know, we've had an exciting last week, actually, and and you know, not no hitters are very uh, hard to come by, and and to get two in a week, you know, may never, I may never in my coaching career see another one. You never know they're so special, and to have two, two in a week is phenomenal. And uh, you know, hats off to the 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 kids and and the way they're going about their business. Yeah, so let's get into those no-hitters. First off, we'll start off with Casey uh-huh. Mize because that was obviously in the talk of baseball even. Even Major League Baseball was talking about it when it happened. Uh, coming up for a double-A debut, completely unfazed, nine-inning no-hitter. What stood out to you about what made him so unhittable that night? Well, I, I think he just he mixed his pitches well and, and executed, um, you know, he didn't feel like he had his best fastball command, but he executed his secondary pitch as well and, and kept the hitters guessing the whole time. And and just, you know, he looked like he was, he was in cruise control and just uh, controlled the game and, and and knew what he wanted to do and how to execute. Yeah, and, and you mentioned something he said in interviews afterwards about not having his best fastball command. What does that look like for right. him? Because it, it looked like he was hitting his spots okay, but he says he wasn't. Uh, as a pitching coach, what, how did you kind of break it down? What was off about it from your view? Or was anything uh, You know, for him, it was probably more, you know, he still threw strikes. It was more control than command. Um, probably for him, he's still throwing strikes, but just missing a little bit. But, you know, it, 
with velocity is still enough to, you know, keep guys off his fastball and, and, and then put away situations. He was still able to execute. And what is your advice for somebody who is coming up to the double A level for the first time? Obviously he's got a pedigree coming out of college, being a number one overall pick, somebody who probably isn't as phased by it as most guys, but still it's, it's your first chance two stops away from the majors. What do you say to guys who are making their debuts like that? Well, you know, at every level, I'm sure there's, um, you know, nerves involved and want to get off to a good start and all this, but you just got to remind them it's the same game, you know, the hitters maybe have a little bit more experience, but, you know, if you have your plan and execute and control the situation and if, of understanding the speed of the game and how to make adjustments and, and just go out there and do what you've been doing that got you promoted to here. And you mentioned when his fastball command isn't on, it's his off-speed stuff that's still going to get tons of swing and misses. It's the splitter that usually stands out to people, but his breaking stuff is really good as well. What can you kind of tell us about what stood out about those? What what does he do to make those work so well independently of the fastball? Well, I mean, he has, he has confidence in all his pitches and confidence in himself, and that stands out on the mound. And, you know, and, and there's no hitter. He was able to command his off-speed pitches and and execute uh basically whatever you know the pitch he decided to throw at that time he did a good job of of executing and um working ahead and getting those uh inviting early contact and 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 making those outs um that allows you to pitch deep in the game Hmm. and you talked about how there were two no hitters uh, in a week for you guys. The other guy who threw one was Alex Fado, somebody you saw last year when you were pitching coach at Lakeland. Now you're working with him at Erie. Uh, what stood out about his start to the season? First five starts, he's got a 3-1-0 ERA, 32 strikeouts, only four walks in 29 innings, um, looking much more like a first-round pick that he was in 2017. What's been the difference between last year and this year for him in your eyes? Well, you know, just uh, execution of his pitches, and you know he, he went seven hitless there. But his outing before, he was up in the zone and got hit a little bit, and he was able to, you know, lock in on it on his side and and get uh, good focus in and get back to what he'd been doing the previous starts. And and uh, you know his no hitter day had a, you know his slider was on, he, he commanded his fastball to both sides, and and just did a, a really nice job of. Just like Mize of executing pitches, but working down and understanding how to read swings. And again, in order to get deeper in the game, you got to be able to execute early and invite early contact. And one of the early storylines with him as well has been kind of the return of his velocity. Uh, what have you seen that's allowed him to pitch a little bit more into the low to mid 90s than he was doing, you know, especially at the end last year? Well, um, you know, he's been working hard about him repeating his delivery and just working through the baseball. Um, you know, difference in last year to this year, you know, the velocity is up. And, and you know, uh, as velocity is up, you're able to get away with a little bit more mistakes. But, um, you know, overall, for me, it's just his experience, you know, getting some starts under his belt and just learning how his craft and how it works as moving forward and uh it it just keeps rolling with this rotation because not only are those guys 
first rounders, but you also have Matt Manning, who, if Myers wasn't around, might be the standout of the staff with a 2.83 ERA. He struck out 41 batters in 28 and two thirds innings. Another guy you have a little bit of experience working with in the past, but as he gets close, it, it sounds like he's always been a raw product, but it seems like he's really putting it together here first couple of weeks with the Seawolves. Um, what has he done to kind of mold into becoming a more complete pitcher? Well, I think just, you know, maturity um, as he gets older. He's still young. Um, he's got, you know, power fastball and above average curveball and, and working his change up down in the zone and just just learning to read swings. And, and uh, you know, he, he competes out there and wants to, you know, maybe be perfect every time. But, you know, he's got enough stuff to understand how to use it for that day. And one of the things about him has always been kind of learning to control that delivery and especially coming out of a six foot six frame, not easy to do. What do you guys work on with him to make sure that he can repeat the delivery given his size? Uh, he has, you know, his key points in, in his delivery that help make him adjustment. And, you know, and, and as he gets innings and starts and experience, he's, He's going to be able to make those adjustments quicker. That's just part of the process. And you know, right now he's he's uh, you know competing well and 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 doing those adjustments when needed. And what are some of those adjustments you've seen him make even this early on? Uh, just consistent rhythm, um, having a good tempo, um, and being able to uh, execute a pitch. Maybe when the the pitch before wasn't a, what he was looking for, able to refocus and and um, make a quality pitch in the next pitch and and again we're just kind of rolling through this rotation but Logan Shore at one point was a pretty well-regarded guy coming out of the draft the Tigers pick him up last year from the A's he, did, he hadn't pitched in the Tiger system until this year with Erie made four mm -hmm. starts what stood out to you in terms of first impressions even going back to the spring when you got to work with him for the first time yeah, yes, you know, fastball command to both sides of the plate um, shows an average change up at times, and and just being able to repeat his delivery and make adjustments has stood out so far. Mm. And he's somebody who's yet to really complete a full season. Like I said, he he had a trap issue last year uh, that didn't allow him to pitch for the Tigers. Uh, what? How much do you guys focus on recovery in in your discussions with? guys specifically and how much do you tailor you know those in between outings bullpen sessions all of that on specific guys health healths i guess well i think that with with anyone you got to understand what was their the game before um how many stressful innings did they have how many pitches did they throw and you want that you want that conversation in between that individual pitcher and yourself to what's the best way of going forward do we want to be a little lighter to are we good you know and, and throw a full side you know talk about effort level the throwing in between all those things come to play throughout a full full season and it's based for me on an individual basis on how you handle it in between starts and one other guy you guys just added uh to that eerie rotation is gregory soto ranked right now at the 26th prospect in that Tiger system. Again, this is five guys now we've talked about in amongst the, the top 30 that are in the same rotation. He's made one start for you guys. I know you worked with him a little bit in Lakeland. Um, plus mm -hmm. fastball, decent slider, kind of lackluster changeup is, is usually what stands out on the, the scouting report. What are you guys working with him to make sure he has a well-rounded arsenal to kind of stick as a starter? 
Well, we want to, you know, with any starter, be able to develop their their third pitch or, or even maybe their fourth pitch and, and make sure that they use them. And, and you know, it's part of the development process. Um, so it's got a very lively arm um, and just, you know, learning the feel of his pitches and, and how to read swings. And with somebody like that, like you mentioned, having a lively arm, I mean, he's struck out more than the batter in inning last year. He's pretty much done that the last two seasons, um, but control continues to be an issue. He walked 70 batters in 113 innings last year. Uh, how much do you balance trying to keep that arm live and making the most out of his pitches while also trying to get him to smooth things out and find the zone? Well, it, it continue always, you know, always work in the strike zone and, and, Learning, let's say when you you mess with a, a fastball, what can I do here to get the ball back in the zone? Is it just changing my eyesight, or is it a mechanical thing? Those are things as you get experience and, and find out what works for you, it'll carry over into the game. And what has this group been like to work with? You know, on the whole, I, I talked to Alex Fado last week. Uh, you know, he was talking about how it, it's not really competitive. It's everybody cheering everybody on and, and wanting it, the, the group to stand out together. Um, but what have you seen? How have you seen them come together given all their talents and how are they rubbing off on each other? Well, they all want to help each other. And, uh, you know, the, they all have conversations and, and root each other on. And, and more that I, I see during games, uh, they're, you know, taking kind of notes on what they saw one pitcher did that might help them in their next start. And, you know, I think it's just a good process of asking questions, watching, you know, learning, you know, what worked for him, what might work for you, and just uh, build on that process of going from start to start. Yeah, and when you are in a situation like this, how much do you use fellow pitchers, you know, either in video sessions or what have you, to show other pitchers, hey, this is something you could be doing. I mean, how much are you using the other guys as examples? Oh, we can't. I mean, you understand that one guy may throw a curveball. Let's say, like, uh, Manning throws a curveball and Fido throws a slider. Right. You know, how would this how would this work for you and have conversations on how, how would we set this pitch up? And, you know, watching the, how he set that up, they'll, you know, maybe they chase high or, and then chase a breaking ball down. Um, you know, it would be in that type of scenarios. How can we take that plan and make it work with your plan? Yeah, and, and just to go back to the two no-hitters in one week, I mean, what was the atmosphere in the clubhouse like after that Mize start? Not only just because it's his debut and all that, but just because it, it, I think it had been 10 years since Erie had thrown a no-hitter. Now there's two in a week. I mean, how exasperated was everybody and, and euphoric almost in that clubhouse after that one? Well, you know, everyone knows the rarity of, of what happened and, and just the excitement. Um, you know, we got to see one, now we're seeing two. And, you know, just they just took in the moment together and congratulate each other. And, and you know, in baseball, you, you're happy and you wake up the next morning and do it, go out there and do it all again. So it was just a, uh, it was a good atmosphere for those games and, and good for the team. And uh, I just want to kind of turn it to you a little bit, Mark. You're, you're somebody who has experience in Erie, obviously. You're, you, uh, you've played parts of three seasons with the Seawolves back in the day, and uh, mm-hmm. you still live there in the off season, correct? Yes, in the suburb. Yep. Yeah. So, what was it like getting this assignment? You know, moving up to 
double-A coaching position for the first time and knowing you will be in an area that that is fairly familiar to you? Well, for me, it was exciting just because I haven't lived at home since I was in high school. So <laughs> um, was, I was uh, happy for the opportunity. And, and, yeah, I played here and I live here. So it's a, a nice little challenge and, and um, enjoying it so far. Yeah, how much do you have to give guys, especially you know guys like Shore and uh, Fado, who played at University of Florida, uh, tips on how to deal with eerie weather? <laughs> uh, quite often, not just them, <laughs> but almost anybody, because you know that first month can be uh, can be tough here, and uh, you know with the lake right in our back door, and how it affects the weather, and how to deal with snow, and I mean just the how to deal with cold weather and and staying warm, you know. Yeah, right. What, you know, what's your I don't, one don't want to tell them what to wear, but <laughs> these are these are things that I wore when I pitched in cold weather. May may help you, or or it's just a you know it's kind of the experience thing because it's you know Detroit is cold too, so we're gonna have to learn to do it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. What's the number one thing you tell them? Well, for me, you gotta make sure that you you get a good warm up, you know, you know, when it's really cold, you just can't go out there and fire. You gotta make sure to keep your body loose and, 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 and have enough clothes that you're not restricted. Um, that, that, that's a key for me that I didn't like. I, when I pitched, I didn't want to be restricted with clothing, but yet enough on there that I felt warm and could stay warm. And, uh, just one other thing as somebody who's familiar with Erie, uh, I read one story, and I wanted you to confirm this for me. You were married at home plate at UPMC Park. Is that true? Yes. Yes, actually, I was. Okay. So so what is that yep. like to, going back every day you have a home game to the park, to the place you got married? I, I, you know, most people don't do that unless it's church or something every Sunday. But what is that like just being in that <laughs> place every day now? Uh, you know, it brought, it brought back those, uh, those memories when I was here um, to those – kind of uh, like a bullpen coach my uh, first year um, here and, and you know the people here at uh, the ballpark were very welcome to the idea uh, for us to get married and and uh, turned out to be a great time we had a beautiful day and you know I remember the first day we got back here I was like hey I got married in this area right here <laughs> you know, I just kind of laughed but you know it was a uh, it was a good feeling yeah no for sure that that's must make for a pretty happy memory um so we'll kind of end on this one mark uh, just to wrap everything up uh you know how much do you use it as motivation to be to, to these guys having them all pitched together being two steps away from the majors saying hey listen you really could be the future of the detroit rotation if everything goes well here you just need to put in the work uh you know how much do you point to detroit as to these guys and saying hey you could still be together in the majors someday but I think they know that, and that they all have opportunity here in, in, in the Tigers organization. And, and you know, I just like the the friendship that they've built within one another, and how they're you know helping each other. But also, you know, it comes to learning how to compete together too. So it's just a it's been a great process so far. All right, well, we'll leave it there. Mark Johnson, Erie pitching coach, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast, and uh, best of luck back home in Erie the rest of the way. All right, thank you.
For the first time in the 2019 season, Benjamin Hill is on the road and joins us from there. Fayetteville, North Carolina is the site today. Ben is uh, traveling and experiencing some uh, non-stadium-related baseball stuff. Ben, what's going on in Fayetteville today? Yeah, I'm strolling uh, strolling in downtown Fayetteville right now. I'm on uh, the corner of Hay Street and Maxwell, if uh, you're familiar with the area, which I am not. But that's where I uh, happen to be at the moment. And this is my second of three full days, or essentially three full days, three nights in, uh, in Fayetteville. So a little bit of an extended stay by my standards. That's kind of going to be the theme of the uh, the road trips this year. And, uh, by the way, we have a new landing page for all things Ben's Biz at MILB.com. It's MILB.com slash fan slash Ben's Biz. And there you can check out uh, all of Ben's latest stories, the blog, road trips, designated eaters, um, minor league rebrands and promos and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but so the itinerary for this uh, first trip of the season is up there. And uh, Fayetteville is the newest location added to the Carolina League in 20. 2019 new ballpark uh you've gotten a chance to check out some cool uh baseball stuff there was a video that you posted on twitter yesterday of uh, a babe ruth related site in fayetteville which most people probably would have no idea existed but what have uh the, your first impressions of fayetteville been like getting a chance to check out the ballpark in the town and all that yeah you know i'm in the in the process of exploring like as i mentioned to you guys before we went on the air i mean my hotel and a lot of the driving until i got to the downtown had been kind of uh you know, a lot of that sort of nondescript Americana that we see all over, you know, a lot of uh, construction and chain stores and stuff like that. But obviously there's more to Fayetteville than that, as there is more to any place than that. Uh, so the downtown is really cool. It is, uh, you know, these tree-lined streets and uh, old buildings. And, um, you know, it's really pleasant. And there's clearly a lot of history in here, uh, in, this, in this whole city to explore. Um, a lot of great baseball history, as you mentioned, um, Babe Ruth history. Uh, yesterday, I stopped by uh, a Department of Transportation offices that just happens to have a plaque commemorating where Babe Ruth hit his first home run as a professional in 1914. So that's a pretty cool uh, Fayetteville baseball claim to fame. And uh, obviously, it's the region that's had baseball, you know, on and off for you know over a hundred years in some form or another. Uh, most recently, with the late lamented Kate Fear Crocs who I believe played through the 2000 season. Uh, but it's been a better part of two decades between, uh, since uh, affiliated minor league baseball was here. So it's uh, given me an excuse to, to come check it out. And it's definitely a different environment than uh, the Woodpeckers' uh, predecessor, predecessor when they spent two years uh, in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, uh, while waiting for this ballpark to be built in Fayetteville. You know, that was on the campus of uh, Campbell University, and it was a very strange situation. But here we are in Fayetteville new era for affiliated minor league baseball the woodpeckers and my hey, first Ruth, question by the way if you're wondering just real quick played for baltimore and providence that season in 1914 uh there aren't a whole lot of numbers as to what he did he played in 46 total games uh at what was then the double a level the baltimore orioles and the providence grays and then he made his major league debut that year five games for the boston red sox at, at 19 years old crazy yeah and what this plaque says and i'm actually hopefully when i'm done talking to you guys going to stop at a museum that has a Fayetteville history exhibit so hopefully I'll learn more but apparently he in addition to hitting his first home run in Fayetteville professional home run he was bestowed the name Babe here apparently uh that's what uh that's what the plaque said and you know you and I both know plaques don't lie hashtag plaques don't lie (laughs) I was gonna say I need some documentation on that of when he was like there's so many legends about Babe Ruth that I bet there are like five plaques around the country. Be like, no, this was the spot where he was yeah, first called Yeah, that's probably Abe. true. Um, 
But my first question was going to be, Ben, did you figure out exactly how the new stadium in Fayetteville is pronounced? Uh, no, I'm still working on that. I'm still working. <laughs> this is only my second day, you know, maybe by the third day. I believe it's Segra, but it might be Segra. Um, you know, I'm a little slow on the uptake with some of these corporate names. I'm going to call it Segra for right now. Okay. Like Sega with an R, but it might be Segra. Um, I will confirm tonight, and then day three, I'll be all over it. I'll be pronouncing it. You'll just be talking to everybody saying Segra Stadium will be your, uh, or Segra Park will be your second and third birds out of your mouth every time. Um, so, yeah, and, it, and it is Segra, it is Segra, it is Stadium, not Park. Stadium. Stadium. Columbia is now, the home of the Fireflies is now Segra Park. So, you gotta, right, it's well, tough to keep all these uh, corporate mergers straight, but that's a uh, story for another day. There you go. All right. So what are your first uh, – we talked a little bit about the town, but what are your first impressions of the stadium itself? Uh, yeah, they've had about a month now to get ready for this, uh, you know, to get into the system or into the season, iron out some of the some of the issues, you know, that always come with a, a new stadium. But what stood out to you in your first visit there? Um, well, yeah, there's definitely some of the work in the kinks out uh, new ballpark stuff that I don't think I've ever not seen at a first-year ballpark. Um, you know, there's a giant crane hovering over the facility uh, with an American flag and a woodpecker's flag dangling from it. Um, but that is apparently they're building a hotel that'll be right near the stadium. Uh, and the stadium isn't downtown proper, uh, so parking was a bit of an issue. If you're going to a woodpecker game, you know, give yourself time to find parking. Uh, downtown stadium, you know, I, I'm a proponent of downtown stadium. Uh, there's just so much more life in a downtown stadium, but parking, you know, can be an issue. And uh, they're probably working on that as well long term to find like the best solutions for parking. Um, yeah, but it's nestled right in downtown. And a real cool aspect of it that I, I, I hadn't realized, I guess, in reading about it um, is that it's surrounded by train tracks. Uh, down the third base side are Amtrak trains. And in the outfield, there's, like, freight and, like, government military, like, cargo trains. So you have two different train tracks, like, basically uh, one in the outfield, one down third base side. Uh, and so throughout the game, you have trains going by on one of two sides uh, very close to the stadium. And, you know, you can hear them. And it really, to me, I think some people might think that's, like, man, that's a little uh, little rough nestling it so close to these trains. But I don't know. I love it. Uh minor league baseball and uh, trains going by and to me it just adds to the uh, the aura and makes it unique so and, and there's definitely other ballparks as you guys know and have been to probably you know with train tracks around and there's something about the combination of trains and baseball i think is a winning one i remember like four years ago courtney hawkins when he was with birmingham hit a train with a home run i think they were in birmingham uh and there was a passing train that he drilled with a homer and if i remember right and uh, our buddy Josh Jackson would be the one to to shed some light on this, but there was a a baseball legend, and now I can't remember who this was. But when he was in the minor leagues, it was Mickey Mantle or somebody who hit a home run that, according to like local reports at the time, landed on the train. It was Ted Williams. Like, Ted Williams, that's who it was, and it just like yeah. kept going. <laughs> so they're like, oh, it's a. It's I think a he homered in San Diego. And the ball didn't touch the ground until it reached Los Angeles, something like that. <laughs> That's what it was. Some awesome baseball yeah. legend like that. Yeah, yeah baseball is so, full of so many stories like that, you know, hashtag apocryphal. But you never know. They might be true. Maybe. 
Um, ben, what are the, uh, when you get to cities, you know, over the course of, uh, of the many years that you've been doing these trips, we've seen you do a lot of cool stuff, like find cool record stores and, um, you know, food trips obviously are always a big thing on the road. What else, uh, on this trip, what are you excited to see? That's not just baseball related in Fayetteville or elsewhere. Yeah, well, you know, when I'm in North Carolina, you know, it, food's always a little tough with the whole gluten-free celiac thing, but I find barbecue to be pretty workable. You know, you get a barbecue pulled pork plate and some coleslaw and greens or something like that. So I was at a place yesterday called the, the Barbecue Hut to start things off, which is really good. And uh, I was supposed to go to a place called Fowler's today, but they were closed for some group event, but I might hit that up tomorrow. Um, yeah, I saw the Babe Ruth plaque yesterday, uh, see some museums uh, this afternoon before heading to the game. I was thinking about uh, going to J.P. Riddle Stadium, at least just stopping by and taking a picture, which is where minor league baseball was formerly uh, in, in Fayetteville before uh, you know, the Woodpeckers came. And uh, that's still home to a, uh, the Swamp Dogs, uh, who are a summer collegiate team. I, I can't remember the exact league, but it's the same league the as Coastal the Savannah Plains Banana. League, I believe. Coastal Plains, yeah. It's, it's Savannah Bananas are in there. And honestly, I didn't realize that the Swamp Dogs are still operating. I, I checked into my hotel, and uh, on the desk were pocket schedules for both Swamp Dogs and uh, Woodpeckers. And uh, I said, wow, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, I, I wish them both the best. That's got to be tough for the Swamp Dogs, though, playing in an old stadium um, and having a brand-new minor league team come into town but this is a a two-team town uh although you know summer collegiate it's not technically professional i'm not sure how much actual competition there'll be but i I kind of want to see that season doesn't start till the end of the month but i want to see that as well and you know just kind of play it by ear i have the rest of the afternoon today and uh all day tomorrow and then saturday i'll get up uh, hopefully pretty early and uh make the long drive uh, to lynchburg so when you do get to Lynchburg, I mean, what's already going to be on your list? Because it's going to be going from a place that you don't know uh, in Fayetteville, you know, and, and trying to see how that operation is going to something you're revisiting in Lynchburg. Um, you know, what are you going to be looking forward to when you see the Hillcats? Well, you know, Lynchburg, I was there in 2015, which in the scheme of things is not very long ago. But I kind of the, the way my trip worked out in 2015, first of all, the game got rained out in like the second inning. And so I was still able to do a pretty full coverage given those circumstances. I had the designated eater still, still got two two articles out of it, kind of profiling people who have been around the ballpark a lot. So it was a good visit, but that was really what ended up being the end of an era as a very loud truck goes by me as I'm doing this segment. Um, shortly after that 2015 season, um, you know, there uh, a lot of the front office staff, the team came under new ownership. A lot of the veteran front office staff, you know, retired and went on to other things. Uh, Chris Jones, who had been in independent baseball for a while, but before that with Lake Elsinore, he came on as team president. Uh, the team was, uh, you know, they had to name the team contest to rebrand, and that ended up staying with the Hillcats, but they did totally revamp the logos. Um, you know, what I hear from Chris as well as fans is that, you know, a lot of changes have been made to that ballpark in the four years since I've been there. So I think the angle in Lynchburg is going to be sort of a compare and contrast, um, you know, my 2015 visit, but more than that, just how much has changed over the last uh, three or four years in that city. Um, so hopefully I'll be there by the early-ish afternoon on Saturday, have a little time to explore, and uh, as well as a little time on Sunday uh, before heading to Richmond on Monday. But I, I imagine that'll be uh, pretty jam-packed as well. 
Richmond's kind of the same story in that that ballpark is constantly evolving. They've always got uh, some really cool stuff going on. And uh, it's an interesting situation in that Richmond, the diamond in Richmond essentially forced the move of a AAA team, the former Richmond Braves, who moved to Gwinnett because of the ballpark issue. They couldn't get a new stadium built. The Flying Squirrels were there. And for a long time, there was conversation about, well, if they can't get a stadium built, they're not going to last there. But they've really made it work there. Um, would when you get there uh, to Richmond, I know that there are still ongoing conversations, and I think there was a plan as of the last couple of years of getting a, a stadium um, kind of off the ground. But what's up next in Richmond? Because that is a, a really cool ballpark situation in terms of the way that franchise has made it work. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. And as opposed to Lynchburg, you know, I was in Richmond last in 2015, and as opposed to Lynchburg, where there's been a pretty major overhaul. You know, I think Diamond, uh, uh, the Flying Squirrels and the Diamond, they made some improvements, but for them it's basically status quo. It's an interesting story because there was the AAA Richmond Braves who played the Diamond, and they specifically left Richmond and that market because of the stadium, and they ended up going to Gwinnett. And then uh, the Flying Squirrels, AA, moved in. They had been in uh, Norwich, Connecticut. They'd been the Connecticut Defenders. This was like almost a decade ago. They went down to Richmond being like, okay, we'll do this, but, you know, we – expect you know based on our talks of the city that there will be a new ballpark um because the diamond is not long-term feasible the diamond if you've never been there is like a double a version of one of those 80s concrete hulks um you know that used to populate the landscape all over the place um you know like a double a version of the vet or three rivers or the old bush stadium or something like that so it is definitely a very anachronistic facility at this point too new to have any real old-fashioned charm and too old to feel anything but old. Um, but the Flying Squirrels kind of found themselves in this catch-22 where the new stadium hasn't been built. There's been a lot of false starts. But because it's such a great baseball market and because the front office staff is like full of a lot of real you know, high-level, high-operating professionals in the ownership group, they lead the league in attendance every year, which almost hurts their cause to get a new ballpark because it's kind of like, well, you guys are doing better than any other team in the league. What do you need a new ballpark for? Um, I think one will happen eventually, but uh, when that happens, who knows? It seems like every year there's a new plan or new rumors. Uh, When I visited in 2015, there have been a lot of progress towards a site in Richmond's Shaco Bottom District, and that fell through, and a lot of it was because there was a – uh, a slave trading market in that neighborhood, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, and the new ballpark ran into historical concerns with uh, how that neighborhood and how that legacy would be dealt with, and uh, you know, and, and how Richmond would kind of redevelop that area while keeping that legacy in mind. So it really goes to show how difficult these kind of issues can be. Uh, so many moving parts and so many things to consider. So I'll be there in 2019, and here we are at the Diamond. You know, I'm still looking forward to it. It's a fun place to be. Benjamin Hill is on the road. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. Uh, and the designated eater applications, I would imagine, are still uh, open. Have you found people for, for this trip entirely? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm set on this trip. I had a woman named Jenny Bell who was my designated eater with the Woodpeckers, a guy named Will Sloan in Lynchburg, and a uh, guy named Joe Tutino in Richmond. And uh, – funny thing about my Richmond designated eater, you know, I just have people email me and tell me why they want to do it. This guy, Joe Tutino, sent me a long, very passionate email about why he was the perfect man for the job. And then the next day, I got an unsolicited reference letter from one of Joe's friends writing another <laughs> like, like thousand words about why Joe was the best man for the job. So yes. I was really taken by that and uh, looking forward to meeting uh, 
Joe Tutino, although I think his friend Brian, who sent the reference letter, won't be there. But, you know, that's a real friend, someone who's willing to sit down and write a reference letter for a designated either job. Yeah, that really is pretty great. I think you should start requiring that from everybody now. A system of references for designated eaters going forward. Yeah. It's a good plan. Ben Vanille on Twitter at BenZ. Thanks, Ben. Enjoy uh, in Fayetteville and uh, drive safe to Lynchburg and Richmond. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, sounds good, guys. It's weird. At the end of the segment, your volume just kept getting lower, but I think we made it all the way through, and uh, I'm sure you only said good things about me. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Big thanks to Mark Johnson and Benjamin Hill as we uh, get set to wrap up this week's episode of the show before the show. MILB.TV is where you can find all of the top talent in minor league baseball live on your computer or mobile device. And uh, Sam, what are you watching on MILB TV this week? Yeah, so this week I am keeping my eye on it. Continuing the theme of the show, really, uh, Casey Mize will be making his second double-A start over the weekend. He's scheduled to go on Saturday, May 4th. Uh, Erie has a home game that night. They're, they're facing Bowie. And I believe Bowie was the team that Alex Fado actually no-hit. Um, so there's a little bit of a history there uh, in terms of no-hitters. Um, but, yeah, that, that'll be interesting to watch. You should watch every Casey Mize start no matter what. And Erie's a, a mill TV venue obviously so that'll be good to watch uh, if you get the chance but you're going to want to see his stuff in person um, because if there's anybody in your life who hasn't seen uh, Casey Mize pitch yet you want to say you saw him when as we mentioned at at the top of the show could be in the majors in just a couple months time Um, so get your previews in now uh, while there there is still time to see him at the double-A level and see how he could possibly follow this up. Um, who knows what he can do? I, I wouldn't bet against anything at this point. It's all on the table for Casey Mize uh, and the, that second double-A year he starts. So that comes Saturday. Uh, I believe the start time is 6.05 Eastern, um, but anywhere across the country, uh, tune in to see him. Tyler, what are you looking out for? Mine's going to come with a shameless plug for a story uh, up on the site this week, and uh, I'll be 100% honest with you. It is Thursday, and we're recording this. Not positive this story is going to run Friday or Monday as of yet, but uh, the first installment of the Scouting Report series for 2019 is on Colorado Rockies' top prospect, Brendan Rodgers, last year. We got some really good feedback on this series. Uh, did one on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and one on Aloy Jimenez, um, where I talked with opposing players and coaches and scouts and got feedback on where those guys were in their careers and kind of what their next steps were. Um, So we're bringing that series back for 2019. And uh, with Brendan Rodgers being one of the guys right now on the the top echelon of prospects who was closest to the major leagues um you know vlad's already up there baseball's top prospect fernando tatis jr same way aloy jimenez number three uh he's the same way some of the lower level guys royce lewis and alex kirilov uh are at four and eight number five is nick senzel he's going up to the big leagues reportedly tomorrow forrest whitley and kyle tucker uh one of them has been there one of them likely will be there soon they'll probably both be there relatively soon and then brendan rogers is number nine right now in baseball uh in the top 10 prospects according to mlb pipeline so uh he's our first subject for scouting reports this season and he and his albuquerque isotopes will be on the road at tacoma taking on the rainiers and 
one of the lesser hitter-friendly parks uh, in the Pacific Coast League. But as we have learned with the AAA baseballs this year, everywhere is now a hitter-friendly park. Uh, so if you want to watch Brendan Rodgers continue what has been a, a real scorching hot stretch for him at the plate over the last uh, week, 10 days, you can find that at MILB.TV. And uh, that will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. He is Sam Dykstra. I am Tyler Mott. We will talk to you next week. 